Coffee's Perspective. I'm David Coffee and welcome to Paris Perspective. In this edition, we're going to take a look at Turkey's uncomfortable role within NATO and President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's balancing act between Moscow, Kiev and the Western Military Alliance. Franco-Turkish relations have been on tenterhooks for years, with diplomacy between Ankara and Paris recently reaching such a low level that Erdogan called on the French people to get rid of President Emmanuel Macron. Dorte Schmidt is a specialist on Turkey with the Paris-based IFRI think tank and joins me in the studio today. Thank you for joining us here, Dorothy. Bonjour, David. Bonjour. Well, look... We have a lot to unpick here uh, on Paris' perspective today, but let's first start with relations between Russian President Vladimir Putin and Recep Tayyip Erdogan since especially the 2016 coup attempt. It's a complicated relationship to maintain between the two, isn't it? Yes, just just to start, I'd like to uh, pick up what you said about the relationship, or the position of Turkey being uncomfortable. I, mm. I feel it's very comfortable nowadays. I mean, they're really? taking, they're really seizing the opportunity of the Ukrainian crisis mm. to make the world understand that their status as a global power has changed and to, to comfort this and to sort of also uh, go through a sort of rehabilitation process within NATO where they were sort of sidelined as being the one difficult ally because of what you quoted in the, on the Aegean, the difficulties with the French, etc. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but um, as far as the relationship between uh, Vladimir Putin and Erdogan is uh, concerned, we know that these two leaders, uh, they know each other very well because they've been in business together, mm -hmm. in strategic business together on the, on, um, in Syria, in Libya as well. Uh, in Syria, they managed to organize a sort of coexistence on the ground with the, um, the, the, the Russians who've rushed to the rescue of, um, Bashar al-Assad while the Turks were an opponent. But 2016, the coup attempt in Turkey, um, it's been said that Putin himself is the one who warned Erdogan that there was a coup going on and who basically saved the life of Erdogan. Mm. And we really witnessed a, a complete reversal of the relationship at that time, at that moment. And this is the moment where also the Russians managed to bring up to a certain point, the Turks on their side on mm. Syria. Mm. And you know the Turks are part of this Astana format sure. that's working on the, on the peace process parallel to the UN one, to the Western one in Syria with Iran. Um, the other thing is that Turkey had developed a very strong dependence on, um, on Russia, economically speaking. Uh, they were importing lots of Russian gas, but we see that they worked also on decreasing this dependence. They've, they've been working on diversifying uh, their, their um, the buying their of energy. Their energy, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, and, and this is very important because it's exactly what the Europeans have not done. So it means the Turks know that Russia could be a partner up to a certain point. So, I mean, I want to come back to um, uh, what you said at the beginning that, you know, it's a, it's a, the uncomfortable role. It's not that you say that Turkey is actually very comfortable, but it's a, it's a, it's uncomfortable within NATO, uh, the, within the NATO. It's um, a very tough thing for us. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, but I want to get, um, you know, you, you're saying that Erdogan is very happy in this position. Is he really just trying to capitalize on this war because the, there are elections ahead of next year that he is really trying to get people on board? I mean, what exactly is his plan for Turkey? Is it, a, is it an expansionist plan? Uh, many have compared it. He's maybe looking back to the halcyon days of the Ottoman Empire. Is, is that, would that be correct to say? 
Well, first thing, uh, you have to consider that Turkey is a black sea power. Mm. Uh, that it's in, as we said, it has a very strong relationship with Russia. Um, the, the uh, rush, uh, gas imports from Russia go through the black sea. And Turkey was a partner of, uh, Zelensky of Ukraine. They had a sort of strategic partnership. They were providing them with drones. They were working on building this industrial partnership on the, on the, um, uh, weapons, uh, industry. Uh, and at the same time, they work with the Russians. So they had no choice in some way than to remain neutral in this crisis because they were engaged with both sides. And what Erdogan, I think, understood very quickly is that the polls in Turkey said that the Turks wanted Turkey to remain neutral. Mm. And what I heard from the very beginning of the Russian offensive in Ukraine coming from Turkey was that uh, the Turks should remain neutral like they did during the Second World War which is a very telling, very interesting comparison, because, you know, they joined the Allied camp at the very last minute, like February 1945, when they were sure that the Nazi side was defeated totally. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like, maybe this crisis will be short, and this is their problem. The longer it dwells on, the, 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 the biggest the problem it becomes from Turkey. Why? Because Turkey is the one that's guarding the streets. Well, that is exactly the point I was going to say. I mean, Ankara's policies, uh, you know, regarding the Black Sea, I mean, could they come under pressure from NATO to close off the Dardanelles to Russian shipping? I mean, is that, a, is that an option? Will, that, will they have to crumble to that as a part of NATO? You know, at the beginning of the crisis, there was a call from Zelensky for them to uh, close the Bosphorus mm. to Russian ships. And the Turks waited for a few days and said, like after, I don't remember, like a week or so, said, uh, okay, we've now uh, had a look at the situation, we evaluated the situation, and we thought this is a situation of war. Mm. So, according to the Montreux Convention, we now have to block uh, ships from the um, uh, war, the, from, from the, the Coming through the Black yes, Sea. From, from the, the, the countries that are at war. Mm. Because if, if, and remember, the Russians do not label it a war. It's a special operation, okay? Exactly, so, yeah. so the Turks had this ambivalence to play with, and they decided that they would block the Russian ships. Um, then what we heard also from Ankara was, we will be under super strong pressure from the Allies, maybe to revise the Montreux Convention. Because after all, the Montreux Convention is just implementing the sovereignty of Turkey on these territories. It's on Turkish territory. So they do what they want. Yes. They can interpret the Montreux Convention according to their own interests. So, so far, they decided that after letting the, I'd say the initially necessary military cap capacities from the, from the Russians enter uh, the Black Sea, they decided to stop it because they wanted to keep a balance. Mm. But they've been accused of letting some commercial ships passing through smuggling arms also to the theater operations. So it is true that they are being uh, under surveillance clearly very yes. strongly. And let's look um, at uh, recently there was the NATO summit in Madrid. Um, 
you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch at these things. I mean, did, uh, did NATO give uh, Erdogan any kudos? I mean, there's this uh, bargaining chip, of course, with uh, Sweden and Finland uh, and their candidacy to join the NATO um, uh, alliance. Uh, Erdogan has voiced his opposition to that because of their stance on the PKK, the Kurdish, um, the Kurdistan Workers Party. Uh, how, what has to be done to appease Erdogan? What is he looking for? So we don't know exactly what Turkey's checklist was mm. for this summit, but we see it as a, it was again a formidable opportunity to show off for Turkey and to explain to the world that it was in a position force within NATO because this crisis is all about the uh, reintegration of Turkey within the, the NATO community and it's participating to the framing of the next priorities of NATO. Mm. So I was in Ankara uh, a few weeks ago where I discussed this with the policy planning at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and they said our priorities for the summit are, uh, number one, Russia, because Russia is is dangerous, which is very interesting. I mean, you know, seeing, hearing that in the in a time where Turkey is accused of being uh, accomplice to, yeah. to to the Russians up to a certain point in this crisis, they said, "Okay, we know Russia is a dangerous player." Number two, PKK. Yeah, the West has to understand that it's uh, they are terrorists. It's not only Turkey's problem; it's about terrorism. So you know this wide label that makes makes it easier normally for the other partners to endorse Turkey's position. But they've been mainstreaming this PKK issue within NATO for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the third point was China. Why China? Because they know it's on the U.S. agenda. And it was a little bit sort of sidelined because of the whole uh, uh, noise made by the uh, candidacy of uh, Finland and Sweden who wanted to join NATO and Turkey blocking, etc. So Turkey was defending its own interest. It was showing the world what where its interests were. But the grand bargain is with the US. So we don't know what the hidden... I mean, I was talking to a, um, a Turkish friend of mine uh, the other day saying, you know, what exactly does um, uh, Erdogan want? And he, he was very blunt. He said money. So, I mean, we look at, uh, you know, we have U.S. officials recently raised alarm bells about this S-400 um, deal with Russia for Russian arms uh, that would compromise, well, the integrity of NATO uh, and jeopardize the American-Turkish, uh, you know, intelligence sharing. But I mean, how does this actually play out with Europe? I mean, there was also this denial of these stealth fighters back in 2017. How can how does he play this? I mean, we also have this Turkish company that continues to supply drones to Ukraine at the same time. Mm-hmm. So weapons, influence, money. What exactly? I think the is way. Be the I mean, the the, uh, the the best way to frame it is to understand that Turkey is in a sort of power trajectory that it's building, consolidating its own capacities on the international stage. It's doing it on the uh, diplomatic front, mm-hmm. you know, that they have now the six more important diplomatic network in the world. They've built up capacities in... A, and in Africa, in, of course. Unbelievable. The, yes, the embassies, yeah. Dozens of embassies in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this uh, army that is now conducting military operations uh, beyond the borders of Turkey. When they intervened in Libya, that was really, uh, you know... Um, a tipping point I mean, yeah. for everyone. Like they were, everybody was looking at that because wh- why would the Turks go to Libya? It's not that close to Turkey. So uh, within NATO, they're being watched with a kind of respect as well because they're progressing in the way they do 
these military operations. Mm. It's workable. So if the, if the connection with NATO was better, uh, they could be a, a, a fantastic contributor to to NATO's strictly military agenda. Indeed, but the the other thing, um, you know, I did. Uh read there recently that the there's a US Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee that said that Ankara cannot be seen as an ally. Is there a possibility that uh, there would be moves for to eject Turkey, which would seem, I think, a, a bit of a churlish move, seeing the importance of the strategic importance of Turkey when it comes to the Black Sea? No, I don't think so. But the problem is that Turkey's reputation has gone very bad, mm. uh, after, especially since after the, the yes, exactly, yeah. since the coup. Um, now we see that uh, Joe Biden struggling with the Congress in order to have his strategic vision prevail because the Congress is also, uh, let's say, worked by the Greek lobby, the Armenian ones. So Turkey has a lot of enemies in the in the US. In the US, yeah. And uh, you do, should not forget that Fethullah Gulen, the famous preacher that is now. Erdogan's number one enemy because he's supposed to have been behind the, the mastermind, the coup, yeah. exactly the mastermind of the of the plot. Um, he's still in the U.S. and uh, and the Turks have not managed to have him extradited to to Turkey. So Turkey has a doesn't have the right, let's say, relays in the U.S. So they have to work at really at the tra- strategic level in order to get their own vision, their own interest taken into account. Very interesting. Now, um, moving away from uh, American-Turkish relations, uh, let's look uh, finally uh, today on Paris Perspective um, at Franco-Turkish relations, which uh, uh, we go back to 2020, where France deployed ships in support of Greece after Turkish fighter jets and gas exploration vessels entered into Greek waters. A big low point between relations uh, between Paris and Ankara. Where do we stand today in 2022? Uh, It's it's true that we reached a low point, but we cannot afford to remain there because we are... This was, I think, the the culmination of this power competition in the Mediterranean, in the MENA region, more broadly, between France and Turkey. And now we understand that Turkey is a major player. Turkey has tried to make itself also useful on after the fall of Kabul when they proposed to, you know, uh, uh, ensure the security of Kabul's airport. They failed because the Taliban didn't want, but now it's playing within NATO. And I don't think Emmanuel Macron could sustain again that NATO's brain dead these days yeah, because it's- clearly it's back in hype. Yeah. And so the Turks have a point there. So. We don't have a bad relationship at the political level necessarily now because Erdogan has stopped his super aggressive rhetoric against Emmanuel Macron. You know, it's like once in a while he comes and extends a hand. Okay, let's forget everything. So we don't forget that easily. But I mean, currently, I think the relationship are on a good course. Okay, and we have to, of course, keep a, keep a, an eye on what happens uh, in those Greek waters in the coming uh, months and weeks ahead. Um, Dorothy Schmidt, uh, specialist on Turkey uh, with the Paris-based IFRI think tank, thank you very much for being on Paris Perspective. You're most welcome. And thank you for joining us on today's edition, and you can get all of our previous editions of the programme on rfienglish.com forward slash podcasts. We'll be talking to you very soon. Bye-bye.